sermon text. And actually you can turn right to Matthew 5 verses 27 to 30. Matthew 5 verses 27 to 30. Please stand as we read God's word. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the ministry of your word. We thank you that it goes out and does not return void. And we ask now for your blessing that you will um, convict and equip and build up. And that we listen and, and obey, that we confess and believe, and all to the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Now you can imagine... That's quite a challenging topic to preach about. And I see there are unusually or many kids uh, tonight here. So that's great as well. Um, it, is, it is difficult to, to choose the right terms or words so that I'm not too upfront and yet still clear enough. The only good thing uh, about the topic is that I don't have to come up with uh, a compelling introduction. Um, this is about sex, and so I have, have, have your attention already. Uh, everybody is in some way interested or confronted with it every day. Everybody talks about it uh, outside in this, in this world, and so I don't need to convince you that this is an important topic. You, you turn on the TV and, and you see it. You, you are confronted with it. You listen to music and they sing about it. And you read the newspaper and, and it's, it's there. It's everywhere. You can't escape it. The only problem is the view that the world has on sexuality and how contr contrary, how opposed it is to, to, to the biblical view. I remember the news a few years ago um, that Mike Pence, the vice president at, at that time, he said something about he would never go out and, and eat with, with, a wife, uh, with a woman alone other than his wife. And he received all kind of backlash and, and for his practice and principles. And it, it was... Uh, they called it outrageous. Uh, that is the view that the world takes when somebody is cautious and takes necessary boundaries. 
And we might think things have become so much worse. We are living in the worst of times. However, if you read history, Christians, even in the, in the first centuries, have been ridiculed for their beliefs regarding sex and purity. Rome and the early church were astounded about Christian in two, especially two particular areas. First, Christians were incredibly generous. And second, their purity. They believed in no marital love outside of marriage. Rome thought, as do people today, that's not only unhealthy, but it's impossible. Why would you avoid such a beautiful thing? And so we see in the seventh commandment, it, it, what it teaches and what it protects is the sanctity of marriage. In the fifth, we have, been, uh, we have seen and, and been taught that God honors authority. In the th- sixth, it is uh, he honors life and we should honor life. And in the seventh, it is marriage. And we, so we come to this commandment, and it is put here negatively. We shall not, or you shall not commit adultery. But we can approach it positively, and we should. What God does with this commandment is to put the beautiful in- in- intimacy between a husband and a wife and, and seals it into the frame of marriage. It is a beautiful thing that belongs into a marriage and nowhere else. That is positively what that commandment teaches us. And that is how God has designed it. Everybody in this world, as I mentioned, talks about it. Um, Except, I feel, the church, it seems. We often don't talk about it at all. I remember as as I was probably around eight years old, my a neighbor who was a little older than than myself, he talked to me about it for the first time, and he told me how a baby is um, conceived. And I was appalled. I said, my parents would never do that. Um, I I couldn't believe it. And that is, for for many, the the attitude. It is something, um, maybe a necessary evil, something like that. But it's a beautiful thing that God has given a a man and a a husband and a wife to enjoy. In our culture, sex is being exploited and degraded. The meaning of love is emptied and and robbed of its beauty. And it is nothing more than an animal appetite. and, And you are entitled to it whenever and with whomever you like. And because everybody's doing it, therefore it is acceptable. In the words of Ariana Grande, I want it, I like it, I want it, and I got it. This is how the culture thinks about it. And it becomes increasingly acceptable to break the commandment. And in fact, if you, as a Christian, believe in in celibacy, people will look at you in, in utter dismay. Jesus teaches in Matthew in in the Sermon on the Mount that we ought to protect our purity. We we ought to protect the purity of marriage and the purity of our bodies at all costs. Why? Because 
It is an institution from God given to humankind to reflect his relationship to us. Your marriage state is an image of your relationship to God in a profound way. And R.C. Sproul in his book on marriage writes that both your relationship to God and your relationship to your wife or husband involves a covenant structure in which both parties, mutual parties, are bound to each other by commitments sealed with oaths. Both involve knowing with intimacy. Both create a place where one can be naked and unashamed. In marriage, you enter the most intimate of all human relationships. And isn't it true? Your spouse knows you and has seen all that you are, spiritually, emotionally, physically. Your spouse understands who you are and she still loves you or he still loves you. And that is on the human level something of the most deep and profound love of all. Reflecting Christ's love for us. Adultery destroys that image. Thomas Watson, and I don't have the quote here, but Thomas Watson, he said that adultery does not only kill your own soul, but the soul of another. And so it kills two at once. And what a fearful thought it is to drag another soul into hell. It is, a, it, it is a terrible, a wicked sin. And so God says in the seventh commandment, honor your marriage. And Jesus, he says the same thing in Matthew chapter 5. Honor your marriage. Love your wife. Love your husband. Enjoy the wife of your youth, says Proverbs. And you see, sexual intimacy is something beautiful. It is something to to be celebrated and to be enjoyed, and yet only within the bounds of marriage. That is positively what the commandment teaches here. And, and the title of the sermon is The Beauty of Purity, but as I was thinking about the sermon, I, I thought a, a better title would be The Battle of Purity, because it is a constant battle to stay pure and to, to, to be kept pure. And, and Jesus here, he's in Matthew preaching to the Jews and, and to many more on the Sermon on the Mount. And, and he uses the opportunity to tell them about the real meaning of this commandment. You see, a, a Jew and, and groups like the scribes and Pharisees, they would never engage in, in that kind of open immorality that Romans wore on their, wore on, on their sleeves. But Jesus makes clear it's not just the flagrant sexual immorality that will destroy you. Things that people are so proudly bragging about and, and you see it celebrated today everywhere. It is an achievement. But no, Jesus says here it is also looking at inappropriate content late at night when nobody notices. It's the lust in your heart that leads you to look another, at another person entertaining thoughts of sin. It's when your eyes get carried away, when, when your mind begins to go places that it shouldn't. That, 
Jesus says, will kill you. We read, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He says, in a sense, in essence, you have already fallen just by looking. And I, I talked to someone this morning, and he says the way Jesus interprets this commandment is, is the end of it. Nobody can stand and say, I don't have any trouble with that. Like with the sixth commandment, it is, it is the perfect murder that happens in your heart and it is untraceable. So with adultery, you can commit it in your heart and, and nobody will ever notice. But Jesus sees your heart. And, and you can imagine when he says it, when he gives that interpretation, how the audience must have received it in, in shock because it condemns Everyone, and they thought this commandment has nothing to say to them. But Jesus highlights that someone can have a good external behavior without a truly transformed heart. And maybe you are so bold and, and ask yourself, what is wrong about lusting after someone? Sure, committing adultery is bad. It, it ruins families. It hurts uh, people all around you. It, it brings to fall whole kingdoms as, as it did in history. But who am I hurting by lusting after another person? And the evil of this sin is that when you lust after another person, what you've begun to do is treat that person as an object for your own sexual gratification. In your mind, you are stripping them of the dignity as a creature made in God's image and treating them like a thing, like a toy. Our lust treats people not primarily as individuals, but as means to our pleasure. You say in your heart, you will use, I will use you to gratify myself. It is the very opposite of biblical love where you give yourself to your spouse. It's in some an assault on God's image in another person, and it's an assault on God's image in you. And therefore Jesus gives here such a severe warning, and, and he basically says to his audience that it is a matter of spiritual death, life, and death. It is a matter of spiritual life and death. And it, it, it means to part ways with anything that would keep you from following Jesus. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And the same with your right, if your right hand causes you to sin. Cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. And, and the point here is, is very simple. If there's anything in your life that's holding you back, that, that drags you down, that is keeping you from following Jesus, cut it off. Get rid of it. Better to lose that thing than to be plunged into hell. Jesus is using here hyperbole language. Here 
to say that nothing is off the table. And I have to say that because I grew up in a church where there was, there was a man sitting a few pews um, further down the row, and, and he had a glass eye because the pastor once preached on that passage. And while he was preaching, he went to the bathroom and gouged out his right eye. But this is not what Jesus is saying. Can you imagine? The sin is an issue of the heart. You can't gouge out your right hand and the problem isn't solved. Can you imagine him doing that and then realizing it actually didn't help? It was just a very stupid uh, reaction. The point is that even when you have to lose whatever is precious to you in order to obey his word, then, then do it. Take following him that seriously. That's the significance of, of here saying the right eye and the right hand. It is the, the more valuable hand, the more valuable eye, the stronger part of your body. Do you remember the, the story of that one hiker who, who got trapped in a, in a slot canyon and almost died? A, a boulder actually fell in and trapped his, his arm and he, he was stuck there for six days. They actually made a movie um, out of that story. It's called 172 Hours. And I did the math at home. It's actually seven days, but I don't know why. It was actually just six days. I, I, so he was trapped for 172 hours. And he didn't tell anyone where he was going. So, so nobody could send a rescue mission to, to find him. Where would they start? Six days being exhausted, hurting, hungry, thirsty, that blazing heat. And at, at some point, he eventually, he grabs his pocket knife and he started to cut his, his trapped arm. And he breaks the bones in his arms and he, he, he performs an amputation and hikes back several miles to his car. And he survives. He got married and he became a father and he, he still lives. There's a man who, who realized that losing his arms is, is better than losing his life. And, and, and brothers and sisters, maybe you are trapped by something in your life that is keeping you from following Jesus Christ as you should. Something that, that feeds your lust and, and is a stumbling block in, in your life. Perhaps it, this, this is, these are certain friends that you shouldn't spend time with or, or places that you shouldn't be or, or maybe devices that due to your lack of self-control you shouldn't have. Jesus says, don't be a fool. Get rid of it and part with it. Nothing is worth losing your soul. And it becomes quite clear when Jesus addresses that commandment and that, that sin of sexual immorality that he did not hold back. It was very serious to him and it is very serious to God. And it also becomes, becomes clear that there's no one in, in this room that can 
say that I've never transgressed this law, I've never had any troubles with it. But isn't that exactly the purpose of the law? It shines a light onto God and it shows us the righteousness and holiness, the righteous and holy standard of God. And it shines also a light onto us and it reveals the sinfulness and ugliness of our sinful hearts. And yet it points and it ought to drive us to Christ. God's word judges our thoughts, our, our words, our, the attitudes of our hearts. It, it lays bare everything before him with whom we have to do. But the point is, if it does that, if you feel convicted, it, it does not do it to drive us to despair, but to bring us to Christ. Augustine said that the law orders that we, after attempting to do what is ordered, and so feeling our weakness under the law, may learn to implore the help of grace. And friends, Jesus offers exactly that grace. He offers forgiveness, and he offers to wash us clean and to clothe us with his own righteousness. He, he came to give himself to those who have broken this very commandment. Do you remember the incident when, when the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery? And they brought her to Jesus and they throw her before him, already condemn, condemning her in, in their hearts. Already picking up stones ready to kill her because that was the punishment of adultery. And remember the tender way Jesus dealt with this woman. Jesus stood up and said to them, let him who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And they all left because no one is without sin. No one is perfect. No one is righteous but Jesus. So they left and, and Jesus looked at her and said, Woman, has no one condemned you? And she said, No, Lord, no one, Lord. And he said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. This grace to be found at the feet of Jesus Christ. And as we heard this morning, there's a blessing in confessing our sin and running to Jesus. As it is in the hymn that we so often sing, Fall I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Jesus, or I die. We all are condemned when we read the commandments, but it should drive us to Jesus Christ. So let's come before him and, and praise him for his righteousness, for his holiness that he offered and with which he clothes those who believe in him. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, you know us through and through. You know our sin, our shortcoming, our frailties, our weakness. And we thank you that by revealing those to us, you left us not left us not left us not alone, but you have given us Jesus Christ the righteous who died for our sins so that we might become the righteousness of him before you. Father, help us to shy away from all sins, to to come closer to you. We thank you that you have given us a new heart and that we can grow in our holiness, we can grow in our purity, but whenever we fall, help us to come back to you and, and confess and cling to your cross where there is forgiveness. Help us to live pure before you and to follow your law and to do your will and to glorify your name with our lives. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.